Well, good evening. It's it's good to be here. It feels, feels a little different, but it is good to be here nonetheless. And and um, my wife would have just loved to be here tonight as well. We were really really looking forward to this actually, um, seeing everyone again and and being here. I I've really appreciated Mine Road over the years, and obviously this is where I grew up, and so I have good memories, and I feel like I've been given a foundation that I really appreciate, and that's thanks to many of you all, especially probably the older men here um, that have influenced my life. So as mentioned, Paul uh, asked to talk about the touch of the master's hand, um, and then he also said, wondered if I would talk just briefly about touching lives in Coatesville. Um, both of them are very, very important things, and I could probably cover both of them or could fill a whole evening with either one of them but I'm going to do a little bit of both, um, and we'll see if we can get through this. <clears throat> when I thought about the touch of the master's hand, my mind went to the miracles Jesus did when he was here on earth. And um, one that, that I, there's actually quite a number of miracles that Jesus touched people. He touched people. Um, I didn't realize it was quite so many, and I just have a few of them. In Matthew chapter 8, um, verses 2 and 3, it says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will thou be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. That's the power of the touch of Jesus' hand. And, and there's just a list of some others. Peter's, mother, Peter's mother-in-law in Capernaum, Jesus touched him. Jairus' daughter, Jesus touched him. There's two blind men that were also in Capernaum. Jesus touched them. Um, there's a man in Decapolis who was deaf. Jesus touched him. There's a blind man that was just outside of Bethsaida in Mark 8, 22. Jesus touched him. Um, there's a blind man in Jerusalem in John 9. One talks about Jesus touching him. In a synagogue, there was a woman who couldn't stand straight. You see this in Luke 13, 11, 11 to 13, and Jesus touches her. Two blind men that were near Jericho in Matthew 20, and Jesus touches them. There's a servant, the servant of the high priest, whose ear Peter cuts off, and Jesus touches him. Um, you see a number of times Jesus and I, I'm reading into a little bit, but Jesus calls the children to him. And I'm assuming Jesus holds them and touches them. Many times through scripture, Jesus touches people. Um, the touch of the master's hand. What did Jesus' touch mean to people? What did it mean to be touched by the master's hand? For many, it meant, it meant life again. For some, it literally meant life again. They were raised from the dead. Um, for others, it meant complete healing. Incredible, powerful, complete healing. Um, for others, it just meant freedom from a disease or ailment that hung with them for life and they just could not get rid of. And probably for many, they had been doctors for a while. They were healed. That was the touch of the master's hand. These things were destroying their life or had ended their life, and Jesus changed that. Every time, at least in scripture, that we see that Jesus touched someone, it was a life-changing or life-altering experience. 
But as I was thinking about this, and and uh, I don't have no clue if this is the direction you wanted me to go, Paul. But this is this is where I went with this. As I was thinking about this, was Jesus really that concerned about our physical condition? Is that why he came so that he could touch people and and heal the world of their sicknesses, so that he could raise everyone back to life? That wasn't really the reason he came. Um, and while he did a lot of that, that wasn't why he came. And, and actually, it's interesting. Many in that day, I think, got a little caught up with that, with what he could do for them physically. Um, at least twice, Jesus talks or speaks to the people who were just after his physical things, his food or his miracles. In John 484, 48, it says, Then Jesus said unto him, and he's talking to, to the, the, um, the ruler that had come to him. He says, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Kind of reprimands him a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry, this was the nobleman that was from Capernaum that he was speaking to and had asked him to heal his son. He, just, he did then, but he tells him. He kind of reprimands him. He says, except ye see signs and wonders. Later in John 6, you see this is the day after he feeds the 5,000, and these people are following hard after him. They find him on the other side of the, the, uh, the sea there, and he tells them in John 6, 29, he says, they, they ask him, they're following after him, and, and he he's, has this discourse with them in John chapter 6. Read it sometime. It's really interesting. And they, uh, they, they wonder, what, what, what work should we do that we can have this? What you have? And he says, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him who hath sent me. Oh, sorry, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. He's talking about himself. He said, the real work is that you believe on me. That's, in essence, what he's saying. <clears throat> and so his miracles and his wonderful things that he did with the touch, his touch, um, the, the real, I think the real purpose or the real reason that Jesus did these miracles, or you see this, this wonderful power being displayed in the touch of his hands, was simply to authenticate or to proclaim to the world that, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Messiah. He was from God. He was of God. And, and you see you know, the prophets talking about foretelling of these, these wonderful miracles in Isaiah 61, Isaiah 35, and there's a number of other places throughout the prophets that talk about this. And, and they foretell of these miraculous things he's going to do. And, and these things are proof, they, they will be proof to the people of that day that this is the Messiah, that he's here. And, and Jesus does these things again and again. And people too often get, got, I think, got caught up in, in the physical, what he was doing, and they were missing the person that was doing it. Um, Peter, then at Pentecost, in Acts 2, he reminds the crowd, he says, you all saw the mighty works that God did, you, or that Jesus did. He said, you all saw the mighty works that Jesus did, and he proclaims this again as proof that he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. You see Jesus doing these things of healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, touching people, and, and these miraculous things. And the list, the list goes on. He did a lot of incredible things, but you see him doing them. Why? Was it, was it for physical needs and for purposes? Many of these people later still died. So was, was Jesus concerned about the extra 20 years that they got? I mean, I, here, understand me. I'm not, I'm not saying that it was for naught, but... 
That wasn't the, the real purpose for these miracles. You see him doing these things to authenticate and to proclaim, I'm the Messiah. Messiah is here. Jesus, it says, he says, in fact, he says, I am the light of the world. And when he says that, he heals, he opens a man's eyes to prove that he's the light of the world. He says, I'm the resurrection of the life. He raises people from the dead. He says, I am the bread of life. And he feeds, he said that after he fed, not long after he said he fed the 5,000. He did these things to authenticate him being the Messiah. Why? What, what was the purpose? So that they would believe. So they would believe his, his message and his work on Calvary. And I think, I think if, if, if you bring this thing down to, to, to a few thoughts, I think it, that's really what Jesus' life was, was about, was bringing people, to, hopefully, to the belief that his message and his work on Calvary that's what we ought to, to hold to, to believe. Everything he did before the cross was pointing to the cross, pointing to him being the son of God, him being the one who could atone for or take away the sin of the world. And that's, that is, was his work. That was the way Jesus desires to touch. I think that was the way he desired to touch people's lives then, and the way he desires to touch people's lives today. It's, it's a lot more than just physical. Um, and I don't want to de- diminish too much the physical aspect of how Jesus changes our lives. But his real, I think his real desire is to change the hearts of men. He desires, in 1 Timothy 2.4, he says, he desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of, of the truth. That was why Jesus came. That was the, that's his desire. And and so I'm I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about the touch of the master's hand then and now. And I, I think I think we do well to when we think about this and we talk think about Jesus' hands touching. In your life, I want us to think about the life changing power. You saw that you saw that in, in his miracles. Do you see that today in your life? There's a life-changing power that Jesus freely gives. He frees you from sin. That's the work of the cross. Incredible. It's life-changing. Have you experienced that? You know, you're no longer under the bondage of sin. How often do you, have you, have you uh, thought about that, recognized that? There's, there's power now to live victorious. I think, I think sometimes it's easy to, to look at these things of healing a man as, as miraculous, and it is. I'm not taking anything away from the, the power that Jesus displayed and the miracles he worked. Um, but you know, for years, scientists have, have worked on things to try to heal men. And in some ways, they've, they've accomplished some of these things, not miracles, but they've accomplished ways of healing. But no man ever will find a way to change a man's heart and his nature like Jesus did. And that's, that's real power, life-changing power. It's the work of God. And I praise God for that. I, I really think, um, it, I, I think in, in, 
Okay, I see, I see some people in our culture, and by our culture, I mean us as plain people. I see some people that it seems like have lost the full understanding or the weight of, of the awfulness of sin. And, and I say that sin and its consequences. And I, I'm not speaking of the eternality of hell. That's awful. We know that's awful. And that's real judgment. But I see a lot of, or a lot, I see some people that have lost the concept that sin here and now has consequences. And it's easy to forget those things. And, and uh, it's awful. And it's easy to forget how bad consequences of sin really are in our life here and now because I know in my life I haven't experienced a lot of it I come from a Christian family I've lived most of my life following God and so there's very few consequences of sin that I've experienced and Coatesville we're surrounded by people that that are living in sin and the consequences are awful Satan, Satan completely controls their life, uh, their desires, their affections, everything they do. It's so obvious to us watching. They aren't in control of their life. They really aren't. And, and Satan and his work, his power is, is completely in control of everything they do. And, and they suffer. They suffer horribly. Um, there's just been too many people from old people to young people that I've had conversations with that are experiencing pain and hurt and things in life that humans ought not to experience, but it's the consequences of sin. And, and many of us just have not experienced that. We've been, we've been saved from a lot of that, and, and we should be grateful for that. But these people, so many have experienced either their own life or the consequences from their parents or, or people around them. And they're experiencing the weight of this, and, and it's, it's awful. Do you recognize that you've been freed from that? You've been saved from that? And I, I hope you, you do, and, and you're very grateful um, for that. That's the work of the cross. That's the power of the, and the touch of the master's hand. This is freedom. Freedom. And, and for many of us, we maybe haven't, been directly, you could say, save that. Maybe it's our parents that made that change, that incredible life change, and, and we, we get to benefit from it. Um, but it's still the power of Jesus. It's the power of the cross. It's the touch of the master's hand. <clears throat> there's, there's, there's a lot of people today living without hope, um, and living under bondage. And I really wonder sometimes that without someone showing them a better way, if they ever even have a chance, if they ever have a chance, without someone coming beside them and showing them by their life, by their words, you know, there's, there's actually a better way to live. There's a better way of doing this. Um, and, and showing them that Jesus, Jesus can touch you. Jesus can change you. And, uh, and that's, been one of my passions in the last number of years. 
I want us to recognize, though, that, especially as a transition here into some of this, that, that you know, God doesn't need you and I. God doesn't. Um, I think it's powerful and important that we recognize that. And I found for myself quite often, I come to this place again, that God doesn't actually need me. Okay, God doesn't need you. Um, I say that kindly, but he really doesn't. But for whatever reason, he chooses to use you and I as imperfect humans. Um, at least I'm imperfect. Maybe you're not. But he chooses to use us to spread this life-changing message, to, 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 in essence, be his hands and his feet, to touch people's lives around us. I want to transition a little bit here and, and talk just briefly about touching people's lives in Coatesville. Um, and I want to I preface this by saying, well, I'm going to give God the glory tonight. Um, and, and I don't want to raise up and make it a more spiritual thing or better to live in a city or to live in Coatesville. That's not the aim tonight. Um, you're no more of a holy person or a God-following person if you live in a city. But I do want to raise up and, and promote wherever you are. I think I'm right in saying wherever you are, you have a neighbor or you have neighbors. Do they know why you live the way you live? Do they know this stuff? And, and that's what I want to raise up and and um, encourage, promote here tonight. And, and just going to share some stories. I think the best way to do this, as I was thinking about touching people's lives in Coatesville, is just share some stories and experiences that we've had. Um, and, and hopefully for God's glory. I've been asked, a, well, we've been asked quite a few times, why Coatesville? Why do you live in Coatesville? And in some ways, I don't know. Um, there's a number of, of little reasons, a number of reasons. If I was to really sum it up, and, and we've, we've talked about this a number of times, if we were really to sum it up, it's because the message Jesus wanted us to share. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, but it was, a, it was a number of things in our lives as we were dating and ga- getting engaged and, and praying about what God wanted us to do that, that led us this direction and, and has since given us a real passion and vision for the, the people, specifically the neighbors in Coatesville. Um, it was interesting as we were as we were dating God. It became pretty obvious, pretty clear that God was leading us to. We were both we both enjoyed children's ministry, youth ministry, and and we specifically wanted to do that in a city somewhere. And as we were talking about this and planning for the future. Um, Peckway started talking about doing a children's ministry in, in Coatesville. And that was an exciting idea for us for several reasons. One is it wasn't real far. Um, that did play into it some. And so the doors kept opening. And I, I think it was actually the first time we went and looked at houses. I think it was the third house we looked at. We thought, well, we had just gotten engaged. And I thought, well, I should get a house, you know. Um, and I knew very little about Coatesville. But we looked at some houses, and I think it was—I think if I'm right, it was the third or fourth one. It just really seemed to to fit the bill. It would have been a good place to live, and um, I didn't know anything about the streets, honestly. But the house was all right, and so uh, 
I remember putting an offer on it and, and things got moved right along and got accepted very quickly. Um, and that's where we've lived since. So it felt like God's leading and, and he opened doors and that's, that's why we're in Coatesville. Um, we moved on to a street that had a lot of children and a lot of youth. And we didn't know that at the time. We didn't do research. Um, but it was in some ways an answer of prayer. And again, God's leading. Uh, many, many young families. And it took no time for them to recognize, I don't know what, something. And, and we have children and youth on our porch and in our house just about as much as we wished. Actually, more than we wished many times. Um, the one thing I do regret looking back at this t- that time was not being more intentional right away with making friendships and reaching out to the other parents. Um, we were young, and that seemed intimidating, and so we, especially me, I shied away from it, and um, I do regret that. That did change some, though, um, as, we, as we had children, and uh, suddenly you have this common experience. I mean, you're having children. You're raising children, and it was, it was really fun to see parents um, interact with us, and, and some of them pursued us. Um, I'll never forget two days after we, have our first, we had our first one, or a day after maybe. I just know Ariana was still in bed. She was very much recovering. <clears throat> and the neighbor lady, we knew the neighbor lady was due right over the same time. She had had a C-section two days before, had come home from the hospital, and she comes marching into that into the house with her, I think it was two-day-old, slung over her arm. She's a bigger lady and, and just, you know, comes bustling right in. I don't think she knocked. And I was like, oh, yeah. And uh, she wanted where Ariana's at. You know, she wanted to see her. She's got a baby, and Ariana's got a baby. So, so she went upstairs. And they had a wonderful time. And those were the kinds of connections that, that were made. Something about children breaks down barriers. Um, I want us to, I, if there's anything I can encourage and want us to recognize is that children are not a hindrance to ministry. They're an asset. And they've been in our lives many times. They have a way of... Um, they're just not, yeah, building relationships that I, I wouldn't have reached out to or expected and a way of breaking the ice and the barriers there. Um, over the years, there was a, a young boy that, that almost instantly started coming over. He was five at the time. His name was Josiah, young man or little boy at the time that just didn't have a father. He was, he was in jail, had been in jail most of his life, um, and he was looking for a man to look up to. And uh, I didn't know even how to, to care for him or ask, answer his questions. And, and sometimes it felt like he wanted to be at our house more than he actually did, than he wanted to be at home. Um, but that was a tremendous opportunity. And uh, many times he was just at home. We didn't really do anything that special. Um, I tried to do special things like taking him fishing and backyard campfires. But most of the time it was just in home, in our living room with our children. Um, and being part of things we we did, and and that's been something that that we've tried to do and, and want to do more of is is ministry in our home. He's since moved away more recently. He's he's 13 now. Um, I think his father is out of jail again, so he's living with him at the, for the time. Um, a young man that. Where, where would he end up? I know at least twice he committed suicide, tried to commit suicide. Um, 
Again, the consequences of sin. This young man has experienced <clears throat> more pain than, than many of us will in a lifetime. And he's, he's just turned 13. Another one, another thing that we've over the years had to learn to, uh, how, to how to deal with and care for is, is drug overdoses. Um, there's several, several neighbors or several houses on our street that, that um, drugs are just done way too often. And uh, again, it, it feels like people are running from something, something that's just coming after them and they're running from it. <clears throat> and uh, Sorry. Um, and, and drug overdoses are just a little too common, um, and, and that's been something we've we haven't really figured out how to respond to sometimes. You know, you see the ambulance come out, and you see the police, and you know, the whole neighborhood knows when it happens. Um, so how do we care? How do we do that? Still learning. Um, I do want to be clear that a lot of our life is actually really normal. Uh, we we eat. I go to work five days a week. Um, we do a lot of family. We do a lot of church, especially recently. Um, we try to be home as many evenings as we can. And so, it, it, it's it's not it's not a different life necessarily. Um, our goal is just to do life. Among the people we live around, we live close to, and, and let let our life and our words witness. Um, I was really encouraged not that terribly long ago. There was a man from church that was that was doing some electrical work, at a neighbor up the street, and made the connection that he goes to church with us. and And the guy got to fussing, and he was fussing about this young Mennonite lady that walks the streets, and and he was just, yeah, I don't know what all he said. But one thing, he made the comment, he's like, what, what does she have that, that she's not afraid to walk the streets? Um, and I think he had the opportunity to, to explain a little bit. And that's, that's our prayer and hopefully our witness is that we're not afraid. We don't have anything to fear. We have Jesus on our side. Um, again, this is nothing, not, this is just Bringing glory to God, a number of times we've had people come into our house. This is adults, a number of times children as well, step into our house and 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 you get this. They get this funny look and they say, "Wow, it's peaceful in here." You know, our house is exactly the same as everyone else on the street. They're all designed pretty much identical, and it's not. It's not because of the way we made our house nice. <clears throat> it's maybe a little cleaner thanks to Ariana, but, but it, it, that's not what brings the peace. That's God. And, and so we, we've really tried to be more intentional with having people come into our house and, and hopefully allow that presence and that peace speak and minister. Now, I think if I'm right, you all have houses. Tremendous opportunity. How many of your neighbors have been in your house? It's something that we still strive to, to do better in. I've had the opportunity over the years to, to um, 
have a number of people in our house. One, one uh, really rewarding experience was, was not terribly long ago. Um, a connection was made through, through Children's Church, actually. One of the mothers, a young lady named Mariska, got to know Ariana and, and made the connection there. And she was pregnant, and they were having conversations. And here, her boyfriend had left her. Or, no, her boyfriend was talking about leaving with her and was trying to pressure her into abortion. And she didn't want to have the abortion. Her boyfriend did, I think, is how it was all working out. And, and so we yeah, tried to care for her, walk through that time with her. Thankfully, she, she chose to keep, keep it. Um, her boyfriend did leave. Lady in need, a lot of need. And uh, we had the opportunity of having her over for meals and tried to incorporate Bible studies and and. Actually, it wasn't Bible studies. I shouldn't even call it that. Um, reading the Bible, just opening it up and reading the Bible. And, and um, she has since gotten another boyfriend and is too busy. But, again, God's word doesn't return void. Um, one of the main reasons, as I mentioned, for moving into Coatesville was, was um, Children's Church and, and the work that was starting there. It's been a tremendous blessing, and we've had a lot of, I think you could call it fun working there, and uh, it's it's very dear to our hearts and, and many many children and youth that have come through there, um, and then connections and relationships with the community has just been a real blessing. Um, we've more recently not been nearly as involved um, since becoming ordained. It's it's a little more difficult, but that work is continuing, and others are are taking vision and running with it places that we couldn't do or could have never done and um, I think currently they it, it's it goes every Tuesday night around a school year and then or with a school year and then there's summer activities throughout the, the summer and and then they have youth nights I think it's every other Wednesday night so yeah I continue to pray for that work and it's just a it's just one opportunity that that God has opened there. One of the things that, that I want to encourage here tonight and something that we are striving to do um, and can be done anywhere is the idea of just being available for your neighbors. Um, being available. Being there. More times than not, you'll find that, that people, when thing, life is going well, they don't have a whole lot of time. Um, Jesus doesn't look that attractive. The gospel is not what they need right then. This is how I've found it. But at some point, they'll be in need. And if they know that you have something to offer, it's amazing how quickly in their time of need, you're the person they come to for whatever reason. Um, I've just two stories. I guess I should wrap this up. Two, I'll, I'll say two more stories. Yeah. Um, more recently, one of the neighbor, an older neighbor lady that we've known for quite a while. She's the grandma on the street, and a number of her grandchildren have have frequented our porch and played with our kids over the years. Um, but she has a habit of getting drunk at night, very very frequently. And I've always kind of wondered how to how to respond to this and to care for her. And then more recently. Number of times she she decided that those were good opportunities in the middle of her drunken stupor to come, come pour out her griefs to Ariana, and, and uh, 
you know, what do you do with this kind of thing? But she obviously recognizes she's in need. She needs something. And uh, I guess just looking for opportunities to know how to speak those things when she's not drunk. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Ariana wanted, really wanted me to say this story, but I'm going to. Um, over the years, we've talked about we've talked about it since we moved into Coatesville. What would we do if something if something would if someone would you know come into our house or if someone would would do something evil? Evil would 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 be attacked in an evil way. What would we do? And so we've talked about it. We've kind of have you know how we're going to handle this and uh, have looked into it and and had even talked about how how we would handle it if if we saw evil being done to an innocent person. Um, and then more, more recently, this would have happened last fall. Um, one day, Ariana was, was in the house. I think it was maybe mid-afternoon. And um, she heard a ruckus outside. So she steps out into the porch. And, and here, a few houses down, there was a young lady and a young man arguing, just really arguing. I mean, they were going at it. We, we know the people at the house, but these people were visiting, so she did not know them. And there was another number of the other neighbors that had stepped out were trying to figure out what's going on here. I think she was just about ready to go back in when this thing turned violent. And uh, I think the young man started hitting the lady and then at one point grabbed her by the throat and pinned her up against the wall. And, and the next thing you know, he was hanging her over the railing. And... Uh, Yeah, she doesn't, Ariana said she doesn't really know exactly what inspired it, but she felt led to go down there. So she ran down there and <clears throat> stepped in front of this man and says, in Jesus' name, let her go. And uh, I don't think he knew what to do. <laughs> he didn't know what to do with it. Uh, I heard the story later from a number of the neighbors, and it was a lot more dramatic. And uh, I don't know how much was embellished or not, but, but uh, he let her go, and he walked away. He was mad. I think, I think if I'm right, he cussed Ariana out. I cussed them both out, but he walked away. It almost seemed as if his hands were tied. That's the power of God. It wasn't. When I came home, it was probably half an hour later, Ariana was in the living room, visibly shaken. She said, I don't know why I did this. Um, and, uh, yeah, she wouldn't say it was anything of her, but, but God somehow, it was clear to this man that he wasn't about to mess with this power, and, and that's the power of God, it's the power of, of, a, of a witness like that, and that's, that's the type of witness we hope to be, we, we hope to be, and, and I, I think we can all be, no matter where you live. Um, uh, yeah. One more story, and I'll try to shut this down. The, this has been a big motivator for me over the years. Soon after we moved in, um, the next door neighbor is an older man, Victor, and I, drawing a blank on his wife's name. But anyway, they had a son, a young man about my age, and I don't remember his name. I met him just a few times. He mowed the lawn. I mowed our lawn. We chit-chatted a few times, and, and I very clearly felt led to, 
know, ask him about God. See, talk to him about these things. And did not, did not, a number of times had that opportunity. And then it wasn't real long later I found out from another neighbor that he was shot in the bar on a Friday night and killed. And uh, never had that opportunity. And that has, that has been something that stuck with me. Um, I'm determined not to let that happen again. Uh, you just don't know. Me and Victor, or his father, has, have since developed a good relationship and have talked about it different times. But, but I'll never have that chance with his son. In closing, there's three, three important things that I want to leave you with in ministering or reaching out to people. These are things that, that I'm, I'm, I highly value and I think are very important when it comes to ministering and reaching out. And I think this is for everyone, no matter where you live. The first one is prayer. Just, just never, never underestimate the power of prayer. God's ability to work in someone's life. That's, that's where you start. That is number one. If, if all you did in life was passionately pray for the salvation of those around you, I don't think your life is in vain. And I say that. Yeah, that's, that's number one. That is, that is first and foremost. And I think, I think we need to be maybe reminded again of the power of prayer. Um, it, just, I was convicted with this recently. A man asked me how much I believed in, in prayer. And he said, well, so then when, when the church gathers to pray, do you go? Are you there every time? He said, if you believed everything, if you believed in it, he said, you would be there every time. Would you pray every day and all, often throughout the day? Yes. He said, so, so is that how much you believe in prayer? Um, I'll leave that with you. Is prayer that important? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Um. The second one is words. Um, and as I mentioned, a big part of our calling in ministering to people is teaching and talking. It's a big part of it. Um, it's not all of it, but it's a big part of it. And there's just a tremendous lack in the world today of people willing to, to share the gospel, to speak. Um, and, and, you know, that can also just be done with opening God's word and, and doing Bible studies. That's a much more simple way of doing it and maybe more effective sometimes. There's life-changing power in the word of God. Again, do you, do you believe there's life-changing power here? How does your life reflect that? Are, are you excited in sharing this with people? And then the third thing is is lifestyle. And there's two... Two parts of this that I want, I want to be really clear on. Um, the one is, is a life of ministry. We tend to, to turn ministry into an event where you do something for an evening or you do something for a day or maybe for a year. And then you come home and you do normal life. Um, I, I think there's more harm than good done in those settings. That's my opinion. Um, life or Ministry is a lifestyle. And if you minister... Actually, I heard this recently from a, minist- uh, a missionary. It was a man in Thailand. He said, if you aren't reaching out to your neighbors at home, you probably won't if you go to the other side of the world. 
That was his perspective, a man that was active in being a missionary. Make it a lifestyle. Make it something you do all the time. The other part of lifestyle that, that I want us to, or included in this idea of lifestyle, is, is the way you live and appear. That's really important, you know, as you do ministry. And we've, we've been reminded of this just a number of times. Is the way you live and appear consistent with the gospel message? Is it? Is it really? Um, or do you share the gospel message and then go do other things on the weekend? And I think it's, it's pretty ironic, or it's sad, actually. Too many people live like the world and yet come to the world and say, I've got, you, I've got a better way for you. That's not, it's not very consistent. Um, so does your life, does your lifestyle, is it consistent with the gospel message? Is it actually a better way? Can you, can you with conviction share that with somebody? And, and I know for us personally, we've found the, the Anabaptist lifestyle to be a tremendous blessing and help in ministering to people. Tremendous blessing. It's not a hindrance. It has not been a hindrance to us. In fact, it's been, it's been a help for us. So again, prayer, your words, and your lifestyle. And if those three things, that's all you get tonight, hopefully. Hopefully you can remember those three. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. And I pray that you would be with each one here in this church. God, bless them. I pray that your light would go forth from with these people, and in, in each home, in each community, wherever they live, um, the gospel would be shared by their life, by their words, by their actions. We thank you for the work on the cross, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.